Waking Wraith, Chapter 8, What's Happened to Festavia, written by Alexander Campbell, narrated by Alexander Campbell. Having found a way to return back to Festavia in person, Katie convinces her housemates to go back to the club and find a way to meditate and cross over. She has to find a way to stop Lutz and to find out what's affecting Festavia and how it's affecting her. The problem is, the nightclub's in full swing, so find a place to hide. Chapter 8 starts with Katie and her friends emerging from their hiding place to an empty club. Chapter 8. What's happened to Festavia? At the foot of the stairs, hiding under the last flight, they sat on the cold bare concrete. The music had long since gone, but it was a place with sounds of rattling crates and droning from vacuum cleaners. Katie looked at her phone. 4.30am, said Katie. Surely they'll be finished soon. It's a big club, it takes a while, said Astride. Fifteen minutes later, all was quiet. Katie couldn't wait to explore. She bounded up the steps. At the top, she could see the smoking area was closed. But the door to the top floor of the cheese room was open ajar. The others stood back. She pushed it and stepped through. It was quiet. She'd never seen it so still. It seemed so small. The masses of bodies gave the illusion it was a labyrinth of excitement. We have the whole place to ourselves, she shrieked. Calm down, it's just an old smelly club, said Astride. Benny said, shh, I'm not getting done for trespassing. We're not trespassing, we never left, said Katie, from the lower dance floor, pirouetting and twirling. Well, you move quick, said Benny, leaning over the balcony. Katie, come on, shouted Astride sharply. Astride gave her ten minutes to explore. The bars were closed and the alcohol was locked away. Each room had a distinct, repelling, musty smell. Old socks, to be exact. But she didn't care. She ran around each room, peering over the counters and dancing on the dance floors. Astride lost patience when she tried turning the music on. After some pleading, she could start the disco lights only. Benny searched for cameras and frequently said, Don't touch or break anything. By the stairwell leading to the main dance room, Astride drummed her fingers on the wall. After a few more renditions of an 80s classic sung by an out-of-tune Katie, Astride said, Katie, any longer and the day staff will be here? All right, but it's not every day you get the whole club to yourself. They climbed the stairs and Katie and Astride ready themselves to meditate. Before they passed over, Benny asked, What am I going to do? Astride replied, Get some sleep and wake us if anyone comes. Placing each foot carefully on the edges of the drawbridge, she heard two male voices coming from the campfire. A smell of smoking salmon tantalised her senses. Wraith, you're seeing things. She's gone for good. She's not coming back. Captain, I saw her. She's coming back. But I won't tell Blue. It'll just give her false hopes. Impairing from the shadow, Katie said proudly, I think the palace needs a new chef. You forgot the seasoning. Unsurprised, Wraith looked up. The larder is under rubble. She laughed a little and said, Hmm, still not getting my humour, are you? Well, I've made an effort to cook this cuisine. Captain Cash was frozen, stiff to the log, his mouth gaped open. Standing by the firelight, she basked in his awe. Eventually, Rafe said, it's just Katie. The captain said, he's not crazy. Don't jump the gun there. He's still a few belts short of a black belt. But yes, I'm back. I've got ten black belts, Rafe muttered. She sat next to Rafe and helped herself to a chunk of salmon. The mood was mixed. Captain Cash was boosted by her arrival. She could help fight Lutz. But Wraith wanted to stay and defend the palace. From her peripherals, and when the captain spoke, she studied Wraith. She knew he could not confront him. It was obvious the ruined palace did not need guarding. 
Where's Blue? she asked. She's asleep, the captain said. Be on the fire. Where the falling embers perished lay a large dark ball. A deep humming and purr vibrated the soil and tickled her toes. Blue, she called. The purring came to an abrupt stop. The nightingale's song silenced and then a high-pitched voice squeaked, Mummy! Blue! The ground shook and out of the darkness came something bigger than a shy horse and heavier than a baby whale. She strutted behind Katie and wrapped her tail. Katie coughed and spluttered. Her nuzzle knocked her over. Oh, sorry, Mummy, she said. Laughing, Katie sprung up and pressed her head against hers. Her purr tickled every bone. Mummy, you're back. Yes, I am. I'm here to help. At the campfire, Blue spread out in a protective half-moon shape behind Katie and kept a twitching ear on the conversation. The captain sat stiffly upright and tapped his foot and said to Katie, Wish I could relax like you. Katie smiled and then could not feel Blue's warmth. She turned around. Thud. Blue fell from the sky. What are you doing? Ray snapped. A bird, cried Blue. No, Katie screamed. She's my friend. It's, it's her stride. Blue vanished again and then appeared leaping at the fire, causing a gust of embers to swirl manically around. That bloody cat, Ray shouted. Katie, why bring a bird near a cat? Katie, anxious and enraged, shouted. All right, don't get your pants in a twist. The sparrow fluttered over the fire and retreated up into the darkness. They distracted Blue by throwing chunks of salmon and waving a rope for her to catch. Eventually she tired and Astride fluttered to Katie's shoulder. Katie commanded, no. Blue's whiskers twitched but she stayed sat like a brick with her paws tucked in, squeaking and chirping. The heart slowed and Katie asked, please tell me what's happened here. The captain explained the madness started when she first left. They thought they'd defeated Lutz's mannequins at the last event of the season, the finale. But Lutz was still on the loose, riding his large dog. Foolishly, they'd all forgotten about the palace's water ride that exited from the secret tunnel outside the walls. He sneaked back through it, gathered his remaining army that dwelled there, and like a Trojan horse he sprung out from within. All were taken by surprise. Jane escaped and gave word to the army of bureaucrats that were camped outside, who had just cancelled orders to storm it and cease it from trading. The palace's people, including the king, queen and the entire board of bureaucrats who were having a night out, were held captive. Wraith recounted their cries that filled the palace. Blitz ordered his army to execute all. The petrified screams were heard by the army outside and they opened fire on the palace. It crumbled and shook. Plaster and stone fell from the ceiling. Mannequins smashed and many of the palace's people were vanished. Chaos ensued and a fight broke out. For most it was futile. There were no match for their chops. Wraith drew many to the dance floor. Under a running canopy, he fought hundreds and shouted for the others to run. Many did, but the gang stayed. Especially Flash, who never ducked a fight. Wraith knew he would lose and the others would vanish too. So he sucker-punched Flash from behind and carried him off the dance floor to the others. He gave very clear instructions. Run. Carrying an unconscious Flash, they did exactly that. A bottleneck of Festavians gathered at the gatehouse. The drawbridge was up. In fear and panic, the palace guard could not let it down. It's shooting fish in a barrel, looks cackled. A sudden explosion burst through the gates. A cannonball tore through the drawbridge and through the iron gate. The drawbridge fell and gave a skeleton of a path for a few to pass at a time. Those who had not vanished dashed for it. The wide gaping hole swallowed many, but blackened and bloodied, the festival queen, Mickey, Betsy, Lynx, Flash, who was carried by Alec, made it to the other side and headed for the woods. 
droves of mannequins poured from the palace. The chairman of bureaucrats commanded his army to blow it to pieces. Rose stayed fighting to the bitter end. The palace's king, like a captain of a sinking ship, remained confidently and uncharacteristically on his throne. His queen remained loyally by his side, holding his hand. Wraith screamed for them to run, but their path was blocked by hordes of mannequins. The king gave Wraith a proud nod and raised his hand. Lurking behind their thrones were two mannequins dressed in new wave rock outfits. They rose their hands above and chopped. Another explosion rattled, and that was all Wraith could remember. His next memory was waking up a sunrise to Captain Cash, splashing water on his face. He'd found Wraith under lumps of masonry on the dance floor. Katie was aghast and said, What was the point of us helping the king gain his confidence and saving the palace from the bureaucrats if it was all to be destroyed? The quest was for nothing. Wraith hung his head and Captain Cash's lips curved down. Too harsh, he thought. She asked, What's left of Festavia? The captain explained that after the palace had fallen, the bureaucrats thought it was over. But from up the mountain's path came more. Lutz had flanked them. Another fierce battle unfolded and the bureaucrats with their bowler hats Pointy umbrellas, cavalry and lancing large pencils made a stand against them. But after many casualties and ever-increasing odds, they decided to retreat, stating, We are not defending Festavia's raving lazy population. Our business is in the land of work. There we shall ready ourselves. They fled, leaving Captain Cash and a few wounded horseless bureaucrats behind. In desperation and hoping that the mannequins could not swim, some decided to run for the moat. As he ran... He heard dozens of chops and whacks. He described how, glancing over his shoulder, he saw pinstripe trousers, white starched shirts and black blazers drop to the floor. He and one other made it. He dived into the water. The last remaining bureaucrat did too, and under the water, holding their breath, they stared bleakly at each other. A pale white hand reached in and grabbed the man. Moments later, the light from the burning palace darkened. The bureaucrat's floating clothes blocked the light. He thought he'd gone unnoticed, but then he was grabbed, held up by his neck, suspended above the water, ready for it. But then, if by a miracle from the moat, Blue raised her head, chomping on salmon. She let off a ferocious flurry of paw strikes. She bit, scratched and gnawed to pieces all attackers close by. Then in her mouth, she carried the captain away. In the morning, the captain returned to the palace. That's when he found Wraith. From then on, had been riding blue, doing his best to warn and gather others against Lutz. The once vibrant land of Festavia had turned into a silent graveyard. The bustling villages, tents and encampments only whispered a lonely breeze. Lutz had spared some to provide tribute in the form of grass to him. Why, no one knew. They were put to work to reap and assemble it into stacks, ready to be carted off. Anyone who tried to party were chopped and vanished. All permitted to live must work. Work was something the people of Festavia knew little of. He recounted how unsuspecting revellers were set upon and wiped clean from the land. He tried warning them, but they were lost in the moment and had no care. He saw many rave sites decimated. Some fought, some did not. The electro-dance music rave was a massacre. They stayed entranced by a female vocalist. The dubstep ravers lasted longer because the mannequins were fooled by their robotic moves and hit the air most of the time. Disco Rave was stretched for miles, was a prolonged killing zone. Because of its vast terrain and network of tents, it took days to conquer. They put up an impressive fight, wearing their flare trousers and high platforms, used their long legs to kick back. He was at their final stand. On a squared, multicoloured, flashing dance floor, 
Led by a man with a rug of chest hair, they fought hundreds. The captain was the last one standing and once again he was saved by Blue. He had seen so many genres vanished. Electronica, funk, acid house, dance pop, future bass, folk music, tropical house, dancehall, big beat, groove, hard dance, jazz, jungle, electropop, funk step, space, disco, drum and bass. Katie stopped him there. The music was sombre. Only the crackling of fire and Blue's loud purr disturbed the peace. She said, This must be why earthlings aren't coming back. There's no party here. Tossing a stick into the fire, the captain answered, I've stopped counting the earthlings I've lost. We used to show them the door. Now they take one look at this place and vanish. You've lost. I failed them. It's not your fault. There's nothing here for them. They thrashed out ideas of what to do. She wanted to ride off into the night. Wraith insisted that she wait until the morning. She did not know what the time was on earth. There her body was vulnerable. If found, she'd be arrested. She looked her stride perched on her shoulder. She raised her wings to what she guessed as, I don't know. She decided to take her chances and sleep in Festavia. Before the sun peeked over the mountain, she woke. Her leg, the only part of her body exposed, shivered. Blue felt the stir and said, I'm hungry. Groaning, Katie answered, what can I do? Take me to the kitchen. Katie snuggled further into her fur and said, there isn't one. Stretched out on his back by the smouldering fire, Wraith grunted, take her to the moat. She'd like you to go with her. Katie tutted and said, okay, you sleep then. I do it every morning, he moaned. Sitting on the bank, she watched Blue dive and splash about. She shouted, I thought cats hate water. Not me. It beats having to lick myself. Since I've been swimming, no furballs. She plunged under, then erupted back out with two plump salmon spiked between her canines. In front of the fire, using a torn palace flag, Rafe dried her. She purred and nuzzled back. Katie watched fondly and said, You guys get on so well. I remember when. Yup, he said abruptly. Things have changed. After they'd eaten, Katie climbed up on Blue and said, Come on, let's ride. Rafe sucked his fingers clean of grease and said, I can't. She said, I need your protection, like last time. Ha, huh, yeah. Looks like you can handle yourself. Besides, you're blue. She's kept the cats in safe. She'll do the same for you. Come on, we need you. We need to do this together, like before. Then you needed me. Now you don't. Trust me. It's best I stay. Annoyed, she replied. Suit yourself. The captain commanded. Ride, mighty blue. She bounded down the mountain's path. Wind swept through her hair. She clung tightly to the captain's waist. It was squishier than Rafe's. The path was narrow and the hardened path at times was sharply uneven. The descent took many thrilling turns and stride followed from high up, probably because she didn't fancy journeying like a tobogganist. Reaching the foot of the mountain, they hugged the edge of a thick forest that encircled the mountain. She stared through the gaps in the foliage, trying to catch a glimpse of the rabbit. The last time she was there, she'd met many. They even talked. Soon they're running free through Festavia's vast open land. Something is different, she thought. The long grass that once tickled her knees was no more. It was as short as a putting green. They passed several desolate rave sites. The only people they saw were those that reaped grass. After a full day, they stopped on a grassy hill. Blue's fur brushed against her back in the gentle breeze. She stared up at the clear blue sky. Blue's deep humming purr made her and the captain drowsy. Her eyes closed and images and colours reeled in her mind. Wake up! A voice shouted below. Wrenched back to consciousness, they stood up. Blue readied herself in a pouncing position. There was a scuffling. 
Katie pressed deeper into Blue's fur. Blue said calmly, It's okay. A mess of brightly coloured hair rose and bobbed above the curve of the hill. A glint from a silver compass tied to a strand of hair twinkled in the sun. Lynx, Katie shouted in delight. Embracing her, he said, I felt your energy from the forest. I thought, nah, she's gone back. And I crept out and took a gander's. Lo and behold, I saw Blue and you running like nutters across the land. Babe, you're back! And he jumped up and down like a poker stick. His dark shades stay fixed to his head. Link said that he'd been hiding in the forest, protected by hundreds of bunnies. They said a friend of Katie's is a friend of theirs. Lynx was oddly lost. His internal compass that could sniff out a popping rave was broken. He could not feel a party anywhere, but one place, the very west of Festavia. It emitted a peculiar pulse, grey with flourishes of purple, but no red or darker oranges, those he avoided. He did not let it lead him because the feeling was not clear. He had never felt such a force from the west. It unsettled him. All he knew to be there was a raging coast and a perilous sea. Katie bounced and said, We must go. Maybe we'll find others. Lynx, who was normally upbeat, said, Hun, this isn't the quest. This is real. Looks at the power to vanish you and us forever. We're best hiding. Hiding and hoping, she said. That's not going to work. He'll eventually find everybody. We must do something. Lynx was startled. He'd never seen this side to her. Babe, you're cool. You have a big heart. But Festavia's doomed. It's best you go back. It's not your fight. Actually, it is. Looks is affecting Earth too. People are dying. Lynx, I've got to do something. A white ball bounced off his head. He cried, Ow! Blue chased the ball down the hill. Hello, pussy, said an elderly man's voice. From below, an upright club peeked over the edge and up came a man wearing a white cap, a checkered jumper and holding a golf club. Through his thick glasses, he stopped and squinted at them. He said in a joyful voice, Anyone see my ball? I hit the flag. No, bruv, you hit me, groaned Lynx. Oh, I thought you were the sixth hole. The flag is orange. Gosh, you're tall. How tall are you? Six foot six, he said with disinterest. Quar, you must have a great swing. You play? What, golf? Nah, mate, it's way too boring. You'd be surprised. It's most exhilarating. Ha, huh. I've got at least another thousand seasons before I'm old enough for the quiet life. Suddenly the sky turned white. Hundreds of balls rained in. Lynx died for cover, he cried. Oi, geezers, leave it out. Flocks of elderly golfers appeared on the hill. Everywhere the eye could see were caddies and people striking balls. Katie was intrigued. What are you lot doing here? The man replied. We're from the land of hobbies. We found this short grass. It's perfect. Our course on our tiny reservation was getting dull. We've got all this now. It's wonderful. Link sighed. Ah, the land of hobbies. They hate raves. They kept on complaining about the noise. So we gave them their own patch, like the edge of Festavia. You pushed us out, he said. Mate, I'm not being rude, but this is Festavia. Raving and noise is what it's about. For you, maybe. But we find happiness in quieter things. Katie giggled at their differences. Lynx was like a puppy on caffeine, and the man was as docile as a sloth. Ow! Lynx hopped in pain. You're having a giraffe! A bowls ball! He cried. An elderly lady dressed in a white polo shirt, pristine white trousers ambled up. She paused and said, Oh, I'm dreadfully sorry. I thought I'd have a girt bowling uphill. Lynx said, You shouldn't be learning new tricks. There's a madman on the loose. 
You're a bit old to work, so he'll vanish you all. The lady said, Not to worry, dear. We're quite okay. We've lived through a war, don't you know? Katie borrowed a pitching club and smashed clumps of turf on the floor. Harold, an avid golfer, gave instructions. My dear, don't swipe, but swing through. All in one motion. Lynx waited impatiently. He wanted to go raving. Watching golf to him was like watching grass grow. Until the sun had passed over their heads, Katie practised, and finally, followed by a four and a clap from a gathered crowd, she hit her first 200-yard ball. That's so satisfying, she said. I love the noise it makes. Harold said, yes, patience is rewarded. Perfect hit. The captain thanked him and assisted to her to leave. Agreeing, she turned to Lynx and said, to the west we go. Lynx gave a blatant fake smile and muttered, great, follow me. Thanks for listening to Waking Wraith, part of the Festavia series. Please like us on our Instagram and Facebook called Festavia. Also, you can support Festavia by buying a book, which is on Amazon called Festavia. Uh, You'll be making a great donation and contribution to us. Thank you very much.